you are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome to a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. I'm Wes Goldberg, and I'm here with David Vermill and Ben Gulliver from the Washington Post. We'll talk about the Clippers' aggressive plans to build an arena and then get to some uh, Jeremy Lin stuff later on. But I wanted to start with something that I was thinking about over the weekend. Now that the offseason dust has settled, people are doing their power rankings, they're taking a look at some of the league's new hierarchy, taking a look at some betting odds in Las Vegas. People fall in love with some teams. People don't like someone about, they don't like what some of these other teams did. I wanted to just sort of go around today and talk about which teams you're lower on or higher on than what you think the general consensus is. And I tweeted this out over the weekend, but the two teams that I keep coming back to are the Utah Jazz and the Lakers. I'm definitely lower than most people are on the Jazz. I feel like Twitter loves what the Utah Jazz and I think our boss, David Locke, loves obviously what the Utah Jazz did this season. I don't. I don't think that they're a contender. I like what they did, but I don't think that they're a contender. I'm higher than most people are on the Lakers, despite some questionable ways to fill out that roster. Um, but I wanted to see what you guys thought. Let's start with what team you're lower on, David. Lower. I'm actually uh, somewhat lower on the Toronto Raptors. I think we tend to kind of overvalue the fact that they won this championship and that they had a strong supporting cast behind Kawhi. And I think the expectations are that they're going to still be a contending team in the Eastern Conference. Well, that... The talent has been somewhat more evenly distributed around the league. I think a lot of people see, you know, the the fact that Kawhi didn't play every game regularly for Toronto. And they're kind of expecting the fact that, you know, Pascal Siakam took this huge leap and that he's due for another big leap next season. And so they acquired Marcus Gasol. Maybe he'll still be a, a contributor at a high level. All these different factors. And so you're looking at Toronto and a lot of people kind of tend to think that maybe they're going to be another contending team in the East, and maybe they can challenge the the, the Milwaukee's, etc. Um, I'm not so sure about that. I, I think there's going to be somewhat of a, a post-championship malaise. They're not necessarily going to be playing for the same thing. They kept most of their core intact. I mean, they add Stanley Johnson. I mean, they lose Kawhi. That's a huge, significant thing. You know, I, I don't think you can overstate the, the importance of losing a player like Kawhi, even if he wasn't playing as regularly as you would have liked. To me, I just... And I don't. I can't base this on anything. We don't know how the pieces are all going to mesh together. But I, you kind of see these teams that are one-off title winners, and I, I just don't know that they're going to be playing with the same kind of intensity. They have nothing left to prove. I think they've already accomplished the most that anybody could have expected for them, and I think the little team that could already did. And so, what else is there for them to fight for? And I just don't know that they're going to be playing with the same kind of intensity day in and day out. It's a long regular season. I'm not sure that they're going to be bringing it without Kawhi there to help. Uh, even if it's an inoccasional basis. Well, David, let me ask you this. Toronto won 58 games last year during the regular season, and I think Vegas projects them right now for 45.5 wins. So that's a pretty steep, uh, you know, drop off the cliff. Uh, you know, to me, I, I think you're onto something. I mean, it seems like the online discussion uh, pegs Toronto as like a 50-plus win team. You know, like Kawhi was load managed last year. I think Kyle Lowry even missed some time too. So if he has a little mm-hmm. bit better health, maybe they're able to – you know, still be like in that clear cut, you know, second tier of the Eastern Conference. But when you look at that 45.5 number, does that feel about right? Does it feel uh, a little bit high, a little bit low? Like what side are you on that one? I think that's fair. Actually, I think it's kind of right on on the money because, you know, like you said, it's a 13 win 
drop off there. It's not insignificant, but at the same time, I mean, they're going to be a winning team. I just don't know that they're going to be a contending team right away. And I don't know that they're going to coalesce at any point during the season. I just don't know that there's another level to this group as currently constructed. And I I mean, there's already talk about potentially trading Kyle Lowry, breaking up the core unit there. I wonder if Gasol is even going to be healthy and and, on this roster towards the end of the season. So all these different things, you could wind up seeing a lot of these players moved midway through the season. Um, I, I say 45 wins just based on the fact that they have some solid coaching and they, they do have enough talent there. And I do expect that Siakam is going to have another gear there for him to reach. So I think 45 still on the plus side as far as the win total. I think I think that's pretty fair. It kind of feels like it, the beginning of the season is going to matter for them. Do they come out with this post-championship pride, right? Like we just won the title with or without Kawhi. Here's what we can do without Kawhi. Um they could come out like that, or there could be that post-championship malaise, or there could be that looking forward if you're Kyle Lowry. Am I going to be here? Am I not going to be here? How much do I really want to put into this kind of thing? I expect there to be a little bit of a pride thing, and that's why I, I'm not maybe as low on Toronto, but I think 45 wins is right about what I would expect. But again, I think it comes down to how they start the season more than even how they end the season, despite them, you know, one of their main calling cards is going to be hey we've got playoff experience so maybe they can make some noise in the in the playoffs if they make it um and i think they will make it but again i think it's the beginning of the season that really matters for them yeah one other thing i look at when i'm looking at over-unders is just sort of last year's health and you know projected availability and you had guy like pascal siakam enjoyed basically perfect health played all but two games last year played huge minutes if that doesn't happen again that will be a big hit. And then also, I think the underrated loss for them is Danny Green. I mean, Danny Green was a real plus-minus oh, all-star last year, played 80 games, was second on their team in minutes. Lots and lots of uh, you know big-time contributions from him throughout the season, a steadying impact, that veteran, you know, the three-point shooting, all, everything he brings to the table. Uh, they're going to have, I think, a pretty hard time to re- you know replacing that as well. And the combination of Kawhi and Danny Green – that's a big hit to your preferred lineups. It's it's going to be an adjustment for everybody from Lowry to Siakam. Uh, so I can see uh, where you, you're at on this uh, in terms of the, the public perception. To me, I still might go over on uh, you know Toronto's 45.5, but not by a lot. I, I think it's in the right ballpark. Ben, who are you lower on than most? We'll just do all the lowers, and then we'll get to the highers. Well, this is going to shock you guys because you know I'm one of the world's biggest Jaron Jackson Jr. stands. I'm a big fan of John Morant for <laughs> Memphis. I don't think I could be any higher on their long-term potential. I just am you know, totally uh, in on that pairing. I thought that the chemistry that they showed even off the court at Las Vegas Summer League was incredible. I mean, these guys are acting like uh, almost like twin brothers, right? But in the short term, I think Memphis really has its work cut out for it. I think their over-under was at 27.5. I think they're going to be a, you know, kind of a league pass darling type team because, you know, to me, John Moran could sort of be like that really early career Russell Westbrook where it's almost like must-see TV, even if it's not always pretty. It's just like captivating. Uh, and same deal with Jaron. I think basketball, you know, stands. The guys who really love the game everywhere can appreciate what he's doing. But you look at the other sort of pieces that they've kind of accumulated as they're going through into this rebuild, uh, and it's you know it's a lot of question marks. It's a lot of really young guys. Uh, you know, in the case of Josh Jackson, I mean, a player where uh, you know his career, you know, to me, it's you know borderline over. They're probably going to be you know requiring you know some real minutes from him. Uh, I just see question marks up and down that roster. I don't see the depth. I don't see tons of talent. Um, I did like that Tyus Jones move for them. I think that's a, a really smart move to almost have uh, 
you know, the, the driver's ed instructor for John Morant, just in case he needs to step in and, and provide a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, control and, and pacing over the course of the season. But I also just worry, you know, with, with Jaron getting injured at times last year, with John Morant still needing to fill out, um, you know, as a rookie point guard. I mean, to me, I think this could be a situation where um, that season it winds up, you know, being, you know, either an intentional or an unintentional tank. And I just don't know how they're going to be able to get to, uh, their line, which is 27.5. That just feels you, like three or four wins too high for me. Do you expect Andre Iguodala to be on the roster for the entirety of the season? Do you expect him there to be be there for the start of it at least? And and if he does stay for the whole year, is he going to be a factor at all? Explain to me how he's still on the roster. Like, shouldn't that have already been taken care of? I mean, I don't see that. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of one of those very obvious, like, buyout type of fits. I think there's going to have to be a negotiation process, um, you know, whether it's the buyout, whether it's a trade. Uh, but to me, like, I can't see him playing a minute. I mean, first of all, it's a weird, like, you know, mental image. Andre Iguodala in a Grizzlies jersey surrounded by people who, uh, you know, were barely alive when he first started his career. Uh, but to me, uh, he's going to be moving on somewhere else. I don't anticipate any uh, any contributions from him on Memphis. Yeah, the Memphis thing feels to me like the New Orleans thing and the Hawks thing from last year where if you're – looking at the league and you're you know you're on Twitter you're analyzing or whatever you just sort of fall in love with the assets and the players the way that they could potentially be but not necessarily taking into account what they are right now and i've heard things like new orleans is going to be a playoff team are we crazy with that like that is who's who's who the, what spot are they taking in the west there's only eight teams in the west that get to make it do we really think new orleans like we can love what they did this offseason we can love the anthony davis trade but let's be real here like one of the teams I'm lower on is New Orleans. I feel like everybody loves that. Like, Nate, tell me the team that lost a player the caliber of Anthony Davis and then went to the playoffs after missing the playoffs. Like, I just, I know that that they had a huge offseason. They got a lot in return for him. I don't, I don't see it with them. The other team that I'm really low on is Utah, where I feel like everybody out here is saying, "Wow, this is a real contending team." And I like what they did. I like obviously the Conley addition. I like all the other things. You know, you get Bogdanovich. You made some good moves. But let's not go out here and pretend like they're a title contender. They just aren't. They don't have that level of player. They don't have that superstar. And I don't want to. I don't mean to be derivative and just turn everything into do you have a superstar or not. But when it comes to being a contender, that's kind of the thing that matters the most. And they don't have that player. So I'm seeing on ESPN and all these other places. Oh yeah, the Utah Jazz. They're a real title contender, dark horse of the title. No, they're not. Well, they're not a dark horse of the title. They're not going to. They're they're not. Isn't isn't the argument then that you know Mike Conley brings a lot more to the table than Ricky Rubio ever did, and as a result, and that allows yeah, be that allows Donovan Mitchell though to kind of thrive in more of the superstar role. If he if if we think that Donovan Mitchell is going to take the leap from wherever he is at now to one of the top seven or eight players in the league. If you really think that that's going to happen, then maybe you have a case. Because now you've got... But, like, Rudy Gobert is not a superstar player. And in the playoffs, he has been... Like, he's, he's been exposed. And I don't think that that goes away. I don't think that the... I don't think Mike Conley is good enough to cover up all those things. I don't think Donovan Mitchell is ready. I think Donovan Mitchell will be a superstar. I, it's, again, I just... I don't see it right now. I just don't see it this year as them being a I hear you, Wes. I think their bigger problem, rather than being a lack of a superstar, to me, their biggest problem is... Do they have good defensive options on the West main superstars? Like the guys that are going to have to go through to reach the Western Conference Finals or the Finals. Like I understand that they've got this incredible defensive identity. I'm higher than most people on Rudy Gobert, but if you're trying to throw out Joe Ingles, uh, Bojan Bogdanovic, and Jeff Green on LeBron, 
Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Like that <laughs> sounds like problematic matchups and, and the kinds of matchups that would make right. me really, really nervous. Now, I do think a, a few things have gone in their f- favor. First of all, they're pretty deep. They've got uh, lots of different, mm-hmm. uh, you know, backup options they can go to specialists. You know, whether it's a Royce O'Neal uh, or an Ed Davis. I think that their starting lineup makes a lot more sense than it used to. The fits are a lot cleaner. There's definitely more shooting. There's better offense-defense balance. So when I look at them, uh, and their their over-under is at 52.5, like I'm actually tempted, even though that's a really high number, to go over on the Utah Jazz for the regular season. But then I, I wonder if some of the issues that you're describing and then this, this idea of how are they going to stop big-time athletic wings, if that starts to bite them in the playoffs where – they're not actually a contender like you're arguing West because they're going to hit a brick wall in the postseason, but they could also be one of those teams that just puts together a spectacular regular, regular season because they should have good chemistry. They should have a much improved offense. They should still have an elite defense. Uh, and they check most of the boxes that you need, you know, strong home court advantage, uh, you know, consistency, continuity with a lot of their major players from previous years where, uh, you know, they could be in a situation to put up a pretty, pretty big win total number uh, over 82 games. I would take the over too. It's 52.5, like you said. I would take the over for the regular season. But the regular, and so that might sound like I'm going back on what I just said, but I'm not. I think they're going to be a really good regular season team. They could finish number one in the West. It wouldn't surprise me if they did. They could absolutely do that because of everything you just said. But Draymond Green calls these guys 16 game players, right? Those guys in the playoffs, the Andre Iguodala's, the Draymond Greens, these guys who just step up and take their game. Not, not only do they just maintain, but they get better in the postseason. And. Utah doesn't really have a lot of guys like that, and that's that concerns me a little bit. And and so I'll say that they could easily win 55, 56 games this year. When it wouldn't shock me, it would shock me. It would absolutely, I would be floored if they even made the NBA Finals. Little yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll um, tell you this. I mean, they're the type of team. I think that other players, even like a Draymond Green, there would be a lot of healthy respect for the players that they've assembled there and sort of their vision, how they're playing. I'm not sure that Utah passes the fear test, though. I'm not sure that's a team that scares you, even if you have to start a series on the road against them. Like, we've seen Houston go into Utah and win games, you know, in the last couple of postseasons without too much trouble. Uh, I just think it's one of those teams where, like, they've got a nice thing going. They've got, you know, they've done it the right way. They've built gradually. They've addressed their, um, their weaknesses. But do they really inspire fear uh, in other top tier teams in the Western Conference, that's the thing I don't, you know, I don't see that. You know, I think they're still, you know, one step short of, of reaching that threshold. Let's take a break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about which teams are higher on than most people. You're listening to Locked On NBA. Support for Locked On NBA comes from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below the belt grooming. You may have seen them on Shark Tank. Manscaping offers precision engineer tools for your family jewels. Get 20% off and free shipping. With the code locked on at manscaped.com. That's 20% off at manscaped.com with the promo code locked on. Okay, teams that we are higher on. David, who are you higher on? You know, I, I, I'm kind of higher on the Boston Celtics, and I, I know that they're still projected to win a number of games there. Um, and I know that they won a number of games last year as well, but. My feeling is that the loss of Kyrie Irving won't be nearly as detrimental as many people expect it to be. I think they've added a, a supremely good player in Kemba Walker. I know the loss of Al Horford is a significant one, but even at this point in his career, I'm just not sure. Look, he's making an impact without a doubt. There's a lot of things he does well, but I don't know that he's overall such an incredibly impactful player that he's going to change your overall win-loss projection there. 
Um, I think Ennis Kander is a fine substitution. I think we saw him thrive in Portland last year. And even though, you know, maybe we can use the same argument that they're not necessarily going to be a great team in the playoffs, at the very least, I still see them being a great team during the regular season. And I like the additions they've made as far as their draft is concerned. And I think I think Brad Stevens overall can thrive coaching a roster that doesn't necessarily have the kind of superstar ego that Kyrie Irving does. I, I think that was so much of what the last year's problem was for that roster was so many different players kind of trying to figure out who they were, um, expectations for all of them to to be sky high and, and Kyrie's, you know, constant going to the media, undercutting this team both publicly and privately. Those kinds of things really impacted the team overall. And I, I think a lot of that bad juju is going to go away, to be honest with you. And I see them kind of coalescing as a group and finding a way to win. If nothing else, I think they're going to thrive because Kyrie's off. It's going to be a case of addition by subtraction there. So uh, I'm really, I like what they've done. I think they're a really good team. I could see them winning close to, you know, a high number of 50-some games there. I'm not sure what their over-under is. Oh, but 48, okay. 48.5. You think that that's, you think they'll go over 48 and a I half? do. I think I, I, I could see them winning 53 okay. games. Yeah, a couple of things to just back you up real quick. You know, their last four years, not even just last year, they've won 48, 53, 55, 49. So there's a lot of institutional success there, a lot of, uh, you know, foundational success, whether it's the coaching staff or the front office being able to kind of plug holes where they've had really steady, consistent winning, you know, kind of with or without Kyrie. And I think a lot of people do focus on that Kyrie factor, rightfully so for last season. Uh, but they've been doing it at a pretty high level for a, you know, a long time, and they're bringing in an all-star to replace Kyrie. I think one other factor to consider is that Kemba is usually more durable, reliable, steadier Mm -hmm. over the course of 82 games than Kyrie's been. You know, Kyrie's just missed more time in recent years. And so that's one other reason to think, okay, this could be a team that maybe exceeds their their preseason over under, uh, you know, just because they have their main guys out there. I'll say this, though. I am concerned not just because of the loss of Al Horford, but sort of the dual loss of Horford and Aaron Baines. To me, this this Boston team has won a lot of their games in recent years thanks to their defense, uh, you know, being one of the league's you know most efficient, stingiest defensive units out there. I think both those guys leaving, you know, plugging Cantor and then whoever else they can to fill those minutes, that has me, you know, that to me, I'm looking at that as a red flag. And I think if there's anything that causes them to fall short, it's going to be that interior defense question. They, they just can't get themselves organized even though they have a lot of you know perimeter defensive talent for sure, you know Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, uh, Tatum. I think all those guys are going to be you know you know quality players at their positions. Defense still starts from the inside, and that part has me a little bit nervous. I, I'm not sure if I would bet either way on this Boston one, to be honest. What about you, Wes? I think it's I'm, I share the same concern not only with the issue with center because you're right it's Cantor and then behind him we're talking about Daniel Tice. Robert Williams, who seemed nice in his first year, but he's got a ways to go as a real rim protector and as a steady hand there. And then you lose Marcus Morris, who is a physical presence. He can at least rebound the ball. You're, you're asking Jason Tatum now to be your starting power forward, I think. You've got Semi Ojale there. I, he's fine, I guess. I just I don't know what, who the muscle is. Who's the muscle there in the middle? And then you've got Kemba Walker on the perimeter I think Marcus Smart is going to guard the other point guard a lot, but Kemba Walker is still going to be out there. You're going to have to hide him somewhere. And I just think all of a sudden, between Kemba and, and losing Horford and you're having this kind of void at center and at power forward, the middle of the floor is going to be a real soft spot for them. And I'm very concerned. So I would act, I'm a, I'm a little bit lower. I, I like the Kemba Walker addition. I actually think Kemba Walker over Kyrie is going to be a net positive, just given what this team needed. 
and given how Brad Stevens thrives with the kind of players he's thrived with, mm-hmm. I think Kemba's going to be a net positive over Kyrie. I just have concerns with the other parts on the roster. I'd probably go lower on Boston, especially I think the East is going to be a little bit better anyway. So 48 and a half, I probably wouldn't want to touch it. But I don't, I don't love them in the playoffs as far as how far they, they can go. And I have them a, a pretty substantial notch below Milwaukee and Philadelphia. I think that's pretty clear. Hey, hey David, do you uh, see them winning a playoff series? No, no, I don't, actually. And maybe that's, you know, maybe that's the problem is that I'm not looking at as far as their overall uh, postseason impact. And, and maybe it's a different criteria than what you guys are using. Well, I think, a lot, I think you're right. A lot of people are being very dismissive of Boston. I think they could win 48 games. I think they'll be right around there. Like, I wouldn't touch it. But I think a lot of people are just being completely dismissive, just, like no Kyrie, I think last no year, I those, think right those expectations were so high. There was so much pressure. Yeah. And then, again, internally, then there was all these... You know, young players trying to figure out, you know, Terry Rozier, Brown, Tatum, everybody else had these expectations. They were all going to manifest instantly. And then with the addition of, of Hayward and Irving, they were all going to become an all-NBA team overnight. Didn't work out that way. They were so problematic. And I think now all those expectations are gone. All that internal pressure is released substantially. There's going to be a lot more of a carefree attitude. It, it might be one of those teams that's beloved by the fan base because they're they're fun they score they'll score a lot of points they may give up a lot of points but they'll score a lot they'll be fun more fun to watch i think than last year's squad for sure Mm. and i think that'll kind of translate into a more freewheeling style that will lend itself to more regular season winning uh it will fall short in the playoffs so i could see that point no question they they, they've gone back into that cute story mode uh wes what's your team for this uh, category well, Brad Stevens exists in cute story mode. That's like his MO. Um, Los Angeles Lakers. That's the oh. team I'm the highest on. Um, or higher on than a lot of people. I Look, you go and get Anthony Davis. You add him to LeBron James. I'm sold. That's all I needed to know. And again, I don't mean to be too derivative and just go to, do you have stars or not? But... I'm not. I'm not sitting here saying that they're going to win the championship. I wouldn't have them favorites in the in the West. I wouldn't have them winning the most games in the West. But I've got them second as far as, you know, I think it's them and the Clippers as far as the teams that I expect to get out of the Western Conference go to the finals. Those are the two teams that I'm the highest on. And I think a lot of people are looking at just the general dysfunction of the Lakers. That's fair. That's fair. But you have LeBron James and you have Anthony Davis. And I don't really care what the rest of that roster looks like after that. And there's some good, there's some good players on that roster. We talked about Danny Green being a minus for Toronto in the first segment. Well, he's on the Lakers now. Kyle Kuzma could make an, he could take another step. We'll see what happens with the rest of the roster, but they have LeBron. They've got Anthony Davis. I like their chances. I'm higher on them than most, and I feel like people don't really take them seriously as title contenders. They absolutely should be. Wow. So you see their best-case scenario is they could win a title. How many regular season wins in this best-case yeah. scenario? Um, well, Vegas has them at 51.5, and I think that's really low, too. I think they're going to win more than that. Ooh, all aboard I would probably the Lakers say. Train. I mean, they've got... They've got the Clippers at 55 and a half. They've got the Bucks at 56 and a half. I mean, they've got the Jazz. They've got the Jazz at 52 and a half. I mean, when was the last time we saw Vegas giving... I mean, I guess the last time would have been last year because the Jazz were good and the Lakers weren't. But And two years ago, too. But you're giving the Jazz 52 and a half. The starless Utah Jazz, 52 and a half. And you're giving the Lakers a team with LeBron and Anthony Davis 51 and a half. This is what I'm talking about. The general, the public perception on the Lakers is really low. If I'm betting, give me the Lakers at 51 and a half. That's really good value. You keep trashing Utah. That's good value. We're, we're, losing, we're losing half our listenership. I know. <laughs> Guys, this is the last time I'm hosting Locked on NBA. I will not be here. I'm totally fired after this. Are, totally... Is, your, 
I'm not sold well, on the Lakers. I, I got right. some concerns there. I mean, mostly my concerns are how many plus defenders, right? So Anthony Davis for sure, Danny Green for sure. And then in terms of guys who you're going to be playing real minutes, I to me, that's pretty much it. So I think they're going to have to— LeBron needs to step up on that end. Who's that? He really does. LeBron, he needs because he, he can. He just hasn't. Yeah. Um, is he going to see him bouncing back to he won't full get strength to, and being the kind of no, impact player? No, he won't get back to all NBA level, but he needs to get at least back to above average. So I don't envision LeBron going like the full load management thing, but I do think that uh, they're going to have to manage the season to some degree. I mean, when you look at how he played after returning from the injury last year, he put up numbers, but the impact stuff in terms of like completely guiding the game flow and everything revolving around him and, and kind of putting his stamp on the action, it just really wasn't there. That's got me a little bit nervous. And so I'm wondering, um, you know, are we buying in too much this narrative of LeBron comes back with help to kind of save the day? Does that get into a situation where maybe people are going to be a little bit disappointed? Uh, you know, that would be one area of concern for me. And then also, I just think that their bench guys sound awesome in 2015 like what a squad <laughs> Rajon Rondo Avery Bradley Jared Dudley I mean that's getting me very excited four or five years ago um, over the course of a season those guys are going to get called upon we've seen LeBron miss some time Anthony Davis miss some time um, you know I'm not sure how much more they can tap those guys uh, so that makes me nervous uh, and then also I just think the you know, the dysfunction stuff is a real deal right for teams to make like a 15 you know 20 type win leap up and really establish themselves as like a, a number one, uh, you know, type contender in the Western Conference. Like that takes everybody being on the same page, total alignment, uh, and lots of trust, chemistry, camaraderie. You've got a brand new coach there in Frank Vogel, who everybody forgets is even there. Uh, you're mm. going to have unbelievable right. expectations on this team once the season really gets around, because well, the LA hype machine is going to be there for sure. Uh, and right. I just worry like there's going to be bumps in the road. How do they handle those bumps? Um, so well, it takes. It, it it takes all of those things, or it takes LeBron James, because we've seen LeBron do this in Cleveland. But he's he's different much older coaching though. staffs, he's, changes in rosters. I know, but I like I, I I get back to this. If you have a rinse repeat formula, I kind of like you a little bit more in the regular season, and I do think that the LeBron Anthony Davis pick and pop slash pick and roll thing is a rinse and repeat formula that's going to work. And I just think that the other guys around them are going to elevate. I don't. We've seen LeBron carry like just veterans on their last legs over and over and over again and I know he's older but maybe I just still believe in, in LeBron James I think that's ultimately what it comes down to I still think LeBron by the end of next season could be the best player in the league still I don't I know he's coming off that groin injury but that's about that's the only reason why that's the only reason he slipped last year arguably so yeah um, I, mean, I think there's some slippage in addition for sure but no I think that's sure. absolutely in play for him I mean that's his ceiling no question but I also think that he's got more questions at this stage of his career than he's had in what like 15 years so yeah, I think yeah. that you know it, it's valid to like you know wonder okay like, can we pop this myth a little bit um is age going to start to show is he still going to be able to you know rally the troops like is he as invested in you know that kind of leadership uh, you know, after you, you watch how last season went, I mean, you know, there was moments where LeBron was just looking around at these guys like, man, what can I do with you? You know, and if that kind of thing comes back up, you know, at some point over a long season, now that's going to be just as damaging uh, as it was last year. Uh, I, I have a, we, a, a slightly less uh, high profile nomination for this category, though. I'm actually a little bit higher on the Sacramento Kings than a lot of people. Um, hmm. I think that their over underline right now is 36.5 when you look at not only their young core sort of rising from last year but also uh 
you know, the kinds of moves they made this summer where it's like, let's just overpay veterans to be as decent as possible. To me, this team just screams like 41 wins or like 42 and 40. Like they just have that uh, written all over them. All their main guys are going to be playing hard. Darren Fox, Buddy Heald, Marvin Bagley. Uh, you know, I think they go, you know, basically 10 deep with names that you've heard of before, which is probably the first time you could say that about a Kings roster in maybe a decade. Certainly the first time <laughs> under Vlade Divac. Uh, now their second unit guys are also you know not the most spectacular names you know Corey Joseph Trevor Ariza but there's a lot of professionals back there guys who can give you minutes so if they do hit a you know a bump in the road uh, they will at least have somebody else to turn to so to me I think that um, they're being undervalued and and uh, you know under discussed uh, just in general and I think they've got a real shot to sneak into the uh, the playoffs if things go right they could be that eighth seed in the Western Conference I'm sure that's what their hope is based on how much money uh, ownership spent on kind of middling talent this summer. So it's just one of those cases where I didn't actually totally endorse and love their summer moves, but I think it's going to achieve the desired effect. Luke Wallen, I think uh, I think it's going to be a roster that uh, he's going to like playing with. Uh, there's a lot of combinations that he could go with here, a lot of different lineups, a lot of versatile skill sets. Not great skill sets yet. You know, you talk about a guy like Marvin Bagley, he's still got ways to go with his development, but he's versatile. And I think there's a lot of guys on this roster like that. So I think Luke Walton will have a fun time coaching this roster. I think it's going to take, there's going to be a little bit of growing pains to begin, but I agree with Ben. I actually, I did like their summer. I think, did they overpay for those guys? Absolutely. But they're also the Sacramento Kings. And the only way to go get free agents to show up and have players that people have heard about is to overpay them. Otherwise, people don't go to Sacramento. So, you gotta do what you gotta do when you when you are, if you're Vlade Divac and you're the GM of a team in that market, you you have to do what you have to do to get guys, and he did. And those guys, unlike in years past, where he would sign veterans who were quite clearly, you know, stepping on the toes of the young players that they were trying to develop, he goes out and gets a Corey Joseph, who was gonna be the backup point guard behind Aaron Fox. That was a position of need for them. You go get Trevor Ariza, who's gonna be at some nice depth on the wing, who's not gonna be playing over. Buddy Heald or Bojan Bogdanovich or any of these guys. So um, I think they've put their young players in position to succeed. I think the Dwayne Dedman thing was a nice little signing. They've got some stretch fives that's only going to make more room for De'Aaron Fox to drive and kick and do what he does best. Uh, I, I think that they could make make a, a, a push for the eighth seed in the West. It would not shock the me. The Luke no. Walton point is big because he wants to play fast. He wants his guys just playing hard and kind of like he wants to be, you know, at the head of sort of that scrappy team. I mean, remember how excited he was talking about trying to bring the best out of guys like Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram and Julius Randle a few years yeah. ago? Like that's what he, wanted, he, he tried to play Kuzma at center. Right. That's what got his blood going. But like, you know, the up and down, super fast pace, let's kind of try to blitz teams. Now he's got a roster that's actually pretty a pretty good fit for that philosophy and that strategy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have to tell De'Aaron Fox to to speed up. You know, I mean, he, that's that's his default setting, and they've got some athletes in different spots where they're really going to be able to play that way. So I think that uh, bodes well for you know kind of hitting the ground running with a new coach, um, and we'll see if those guys take to him as sort of we expect. NBA player and Locked On podcast analyst Trevor Booker joined the Monday Locked On NBA. He broke down the deals from the offseason. He left one team out as a title contender that will surprise you and is high on one team more than others in the West. I wonder if it's the Lakers. Get it at Locked On NBA. On Thursday, the Clippers unveiled renderings of the team's new $1 billion arena in Inglewood. The good news is that it will be privately financed, so there won't be taking any taxpayer dollars to build it, and they plan to be playing there by 2024. Ben, you were there when Steve Ballmer was talking about the new arena. You wrote about it for the Washington Post. He talked about creating a destination 
for the NBA's best players, for NBA's best free agents. He wants to build something called a wall of sound, and he's going to create his own version of Jurassic Park. I mean, this is pretty aspirational stuff. Do you think the Clippers could pull it off? Steve Ballmer is living all of our dreams, man. I'll, I'll just say that. Like, if we had unlimited <laughs> resources, $50 billion, don't you think the first thing you would do is buy a team? The second thing you would do would be to design your dream arena for that team to play in? I mean, he is basically just going down uh, the checklist of what you know, hardcore hoop heads would want to do. The arena. I mean, this is this is this is NBA 2K franchise mode or Madden franchise mode. This is literally what you do when it's all in a video game. A hundred percent. I like how shameless and just kind of like you know straightforward he is. Like, yeah, we want to build a new arena because we want to get big free agents and the greatest players of all time. It's like, all right, well, straightforward. <laughs> and there's no beating around the bush from uh, Steve Ballmer. <laughs> Uh, you can understand why he would be flushed with confidence after this summer, getting Kawhi Leonard, getting Paul George. They clearly timed the announcement of their arena plans, um, you know, kind of to piggyback on the positive momentum they generated from you know, introducing those players here in L.A. last week. Uh, the arena itself sounds very interesting. Now, he's borrowing a lot of concepts from the Golden State Warriors and Chase Center, right? So it's going to be a city arena. Mm-hmm. It's going to be self-financed. Uh, It's going to have sort of an indoor-outdoor vibe, so you can kind of – there's a a plaza and an area for fans to gather, uh, you know, before and after games and also during the games, you know, sort of mimicking that Jurassic Park feel uh, also in Toronto. But Ballmer's big point was he wants it to be basketball only. So, like, Staples Center, they've got hockey, they've got awards show, they've got concerts. The Chase Center up in San Francisco, they're going to have a lot of different concerts. They can actually change the venue to kind of scale it down for like almost like comedy club shows or smaller, like more intimate concerts. Uh, Mm -hmm. Ballmer doesn't want to deal with any of that stuff. He just wants a basketball palace, period. The whole thing is going to cost him, uh, you know, according to sources, more than $1 billion, which is not super surprising because of the L.A. real estate market. Uh, He's got a pretty interesting location, not too far from the airport, uh, about 10 miles away from uh, the old Staples Center as well. So, uh, you know, the plans are in place. I mean, he's clearly ready to get this thing going as quickly as possible. There's a few more legal hurdles they've got to uh, get through to kind of uh, get to the stage where they're actually building it. But um, this, to me, it seems like the new arms race, right? Like if you're the billionaire who buys yeah. into the NBA and you want to have everything absolutely first class, uh, the first thing you do is just say, you know what, I'm going to build my own arena and take all the profits from myself. I think Joe Lakeup and, and those guys up with Golden State deserve a lot of credit for you know sort of being the model that other guys are going to follow and it will be fascinating to see are, are is there another bomber coming down the pipeline like is there another ownership group who's well he's 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 worth 50 billion dollars i'm surprised he's only spending one billion dollars on this thing well, like that's just that's a drop yeah, like that's it man well, What's, i didn't realize he was so cheap well, here's the thing it's not coming out for five more years so there's plenty of time for that number to creep up closer to two billion i think the los angeles rams football stadium wound up being about five billion uh, and it's going to be like right next door to this one. So wow, uh, disrespecting the Chargers—they're playing there too. Oh, yeah. Well, look, I don't follow football too closely, but uh, <laughs> great point. Uh, it's very it's, likely it's going to become more than a billion-dollar project. Let's put it that way. How how what will it take for the Clippers to eclipse the Lakers as far as overall popularity? Like, it's going to take more than just the arena. But do you think this is a step in that direction towards them surpassing the Los Angeles Lakers as far as the fan base is concerned? To be honest, I think the Lakers could fold tomorrow and they would still be more popular 10 years from now than the Clippers. I'm not saying that as a dig to the Clippers. It's just like I you live absolutely in LA. are, yeah. No, no, it's not. I have so much respect for everything the Clippers are trying to do. But just like facts are facts. Like, you know, you walk around in L.A., everyone's always talking about the Lakers. I think even if the Clippers to, were to do what the Warriors did 
and go to five straight finals and win multiple titles, I still think that there would be uh, they would struggle as you know in terms of the po- popular perception as being that number two team. What I think the Clippers have done so brilliantly, though, is they have seeded all of the glamour, all of the media attention, all of the headlines and limelight and uh, you know accolades to the Lakers. They've said, like, look, that's your lane. We want to be a blacktop team. Uh, we want to be hard playing. We want to be you know scrappy, gritty. And we want to, even if we're going to go out there and chase superstars, we want the superstars to uh, possess those same qualities, whether it's Kawhi Leonard, kind of no-nonsense two-way player, Paul George, uh, you know, maybe he's got a little bit more of a, a public profile, but still, you know, hardworking two-way player uh, who gets after it. I think Paul George actually put it pretty well last week. He said, look, guys like me and Kawhi Leonard are lost artists. There aren't that many superstar level guys who are still doing it on a high level, you know, playing uh, basketball on both sides. That's exactly what the Clippers are about. And so to me, I, I think that they're fine losing the comparison to the Lakers, you know, every single day of the week for the next decade. As long as they're winning more basketball games and potentially competing for titles, that's really what they care about. That sounds like lip service, by the way, but I genuinely think it's true because, uh, you know, I, I don't think that they're kidding themselves, right? They live in Los Angeles. Well, they, you, they feel you, it you better set a realistic goal. Um, the arena is supposed to look like, and we'll wrap it up here, Ben, but this, the arena is supposed to look like, a uh, a ball going through a hoop do you think it looks like that it does i mean you have to kind of like tilt your head it's not quite an optical illusion but it's sort of bordering that direction but to real quick you mentioned the wall of sound you know for people who didn't read about that the idea is behind one hoop there will not be a cut between the upper and lower bowl it will just be straight seats all the way up and so it'll be more like a uh, an environment say at a college basketball game where everybody's standing or a European basketball game, European soccer game, where, you know, it's almost for, like, the diehards or the ultra fans, right? And you might have seen it at, like, uh, MLS soccer games, too. Now they've got, you mm-hmm. know, certain areas of the stadium that are for the diehards. Ballmer wants to bring that, uh, you know, to the NBA and to the Clippers. And I'll tell you what, after going to a lot of sleepy Clipper games over the last five years where, you know, the fans aren't always totally into it, and that changed a lot last year, by the way. They had a really passionate fan base because that team played so hard and everybody rallied around the the core guys, you know, Pat Beverly, Lou Williams, Montrezl Harrell. If he's able to pull that off, though, that might even be more impressive than a championship, right? Because, you know, imagining a Clippers yeah. crowd where, you know, thousands of people are standing and screaming and chanting for an entire game, uh, it kind of blows your mind. If you've got that on one side, creating that wall of sound, and then Steve Ballmer on the other side, making his own wall of sound, that's a... That's a, that's a lot of sound happening. That's a good, nice little home court advantage for the Clippers. All right, that's it for today. Remember to listen to and subscribe to new and archived episodes of Locked on NBA on Himalaya, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, please leave us a review. Thanks, Ben, for joining us. You can read his stuff over at the Washington Post. Thanks for listening.